Hey guys, what's up? Grab your coffee and find a seat, please. How is everybody doing today? How did everybody like that one hour sleep? That, who here loves daylight savings time? Yes. Hey, we get an hour, they take an hour, you know, but this is the good one. What? You know what? Uh, you got a blessing this morning, Sharon, a blessing of an hour of sleep. So you woke up refreshed. Nobody was late today. Everybody was on time, right? No, <laughs> you just instantly look guilty. Is that towards me? Um, hey, we are glad you are here. We are... Um, looking at what's called audacious prayers. Um, and these aren't like just prayers that we're looking at in the Bible, but these audacious prayers are something for you to put in your toolbox of your mind to pray for later. Um, hopefully this hits you this week or today, or maybe it, this will hit you in five years when you really need it, and it's in, it's in your toolbox. But these audacious prayers are super important. As we said, we're getting away. I mean, there's like the everyday maintenance prayers, I call them. It's like adding gas and, to your car and changing your oil. It's like everyday stuff. These audacious prayers are like a whole overhaul to our soul, if we're sticking with the car analogy. Um, the maintenance prayers are like, at, like we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Like, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Thank you, God, for all these blessings that I have. Um, help me forgive others, asking for things that we need for the week. And these audacious prayers come around once in a while. Um, you can pray them every day if you'd like. Today we're on our fourth audacious prayer. Like um, The first one was increase my faith, Lord. Then it was send me, which Pastor Michael talked about. Send me, and you know he's being sent out to plant a church. And last week was giving God permission to search me. Like search me, oh God, like I'm an open book, Lord, you know me, search me, but not just for God's sake, but for our sake, so he can reveal to us what he finds. And that takes a lot of courage to pray, right? To let God in in every nook and cranny of our life and to tell us and reveal to us what he finds. And this week, audacious prayer is not probably the most encouraging thing you've ever seen, and it may not be the most uplifting thing on the surface, but I promise you it'll change your life once you get it down. And it's this. It's, it's break me. It's break me, Lord, or break me, oh Lord, break me. And now when you see this, like, we're, like, you're really going to ask God to break you, and that's what we're asking God to do. Again, it might not be something you pray tonight, but it might be there in the toolbox when you really need it. And this prayer, um, I know I've prayed a few times. I know you guys, some of you have prayed this a few times, of like, God, break me break me, and, and, and giving God permission to do that. And it's really about your willingness to change. Um, we are asking him, when we say break me, we are asking God to do a work in our lives and do, asking God to do a work in our soul that only God can do. And we are putting aside all our pride, all of, all of um, our insecurities, everything, and just asking God to break us. So what we're really saying is, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want for me. I want the best. I want your best for my life, God. So do your work. Whatever that is, God, do your work. I'm willing to change. And so 
to go into this Lord Break Me, I want to share a quick story of Jesus and in, in maybe the King James Version, it was Jesus and the woman of uh, bad reputation, okay? It was, it was a story of Jesus with a woman with a bad reputation, or maybe if you're in the King James Version, it was the ill repute of like ill repute, like a bad reputation, a sinful woman. And, you know, we know from commentaries and all sorts of things that this woman was most likely a prostitute that came before Jesus. And so we think about like, you know, we know of stories of Jesus eating with sinners and drinking with sinners. And so here's a quick story I want to share. And I'll, and I'll share with you how this ties in with brokenness. And you could probably see it from the text. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 39. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 39. If you don't have your Bibles, it's up here. There's also journals back there for free if you guys want a journal to take notes. The only stipulation is if you take that free journal, you have to put notes in it and bring it with you every Sunday. Sound good? All right, cool. Um, here it is. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them, his feet, that is. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Okay, that's the first half. I'll share the second half of the story in a minute, okay? Okay, this is just the first half. I'll share the second half in a minute. Um, so really, this picture of this woman that is just at the feet of Jesus, crying, what did she wet Jesus' feet with? Her tears. She just was crying over his feet. And what did she wipe the dirt and tears off of his feet with? Her hair. She took her hair and she just started rubbing Jesus' feet. Like the two things she had. What was the third thing she had? Her perfume. And one thing we need to realize is, like, perfume back then wasn't as accessible as today. Um, and especially, like, perfume was very rare. And for somebody who would have been, a, like, a prostitute, perfume was put on. And so when somebody smelled this perfume, it would, like, uh, draw them to her as, like, a clean person or somebody, you know. It would kind of, like, it was a, a lot of her livelihood. And in another translation, another account of this in a different book of the Bible, they said this perfume was so expensive. They said it was worth about a year's wages. A year's wages. So think about how much you make in a year, right? Some of you, it might be $40,000. Some of you, it might be $30,000, $50,000. Who knows? But it was around that amount, like $30,000 bottle of perfume that she poured on Jesus' feet um, as a sign of worship, as a sign of brokenness. Um, and then people started talking, like, what is this woman doing? Um, what, is she, what is she doing? But I don't think she really cared, right? I don't think she really cared what anybody here thought. Um, and so I want to go into three parts of brokenness, all right? Three parts that you could be broken about or three things that, that we could pray this. Um, the first is this. The first break me is help me be broken over my sin. And this is something I want you guys to encourage you to write down, think about. But it's, it's like when we pray this, it's, it's help me be broken over my sin. 
See, a lot of times we like to sugarcoat our sin. Like, oh yeah, I made a little mistake, and that mistake keeps happening over and over again. I keep making these little mistakes. Or, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. And we kind of have a habit of sugarcoating our sin. Even to the point where we don't really want to sin anymore, but it's like in this particular sin, but we just keep doing it. And so at that point, we have to pray, God, help me be broken over my sin. Like we prayed last week, Lord, search me, search me, know me. If there's any offensive way in me, show me. And that's when he shows you. And if you feel that if there's any bit of indifference towards that sin, or just like, nah, it's not as bad as this person. It's like that's when you need to, God, God, break me over my sin. Help me be as broken about my sin as you are, God. Help me be broken. You'll never be truly broken if you're not broken over your sin. See, we are all sinners, all right? We are all sinners saved by grace, right? So we're not, we're not going to heaven because we've done a number of good things. No, that's not true. Like, we didn't earn our way to heaven. We are all sinners in the same boat. There, we are only saved because of our faith in Jesus, amen? And so that faith is what gives us our righteousness. But in no way are we, like, self-righteous or we are good enough to go to heaven. We're only good enough because God saved us. And so oftentimes, we've been going to church for a while. We know the right things to say. We know the right things to do. And we sometimes feel like our righteousness is up here and other people's righteousness are down here. Like, hey, I'm just a liar who's saved by grace. This is a prostitute saved by grace. I'm, I never did what she did. I'm better than her. Or we just put ourselves above other people and other sin. And that's never a good thing to do. Um, it's never good to look down on people's sin. That's what this Pharisees was doing. Is like, whoa, she's a bad person. Does Jesus know how bad of a person this is wiping his feet? And Jesus is probably like, you know, she's no worse than you and I'm eating at your house, so why are you condemning her when I w went over there? And the Pharisee never said, God, you shouldn't even be in my house if you knew what I've done. Right? So if you really think about the story, the Pharisee wasn't that broken over his sin. He was just focused on other people's sin. Um, broken people don't look down on other people's sin. Right? If, you, if, if, if you're truly a broken person before the Lord, you're not the type to look down and judge other people because you know that you have nothing left. Like you put all your cards on the table. You are truly broken and bankrupt before the Lord. And so you don't look down on other people's sin. And if you find yourself looking down on other people's sin, the first thing we need to do is run before the Lord and confess our sin and say, sorry for doing that. I shouldn't judge other people. It's why? Because we are no different than them. We are no different. As I said, we are all sinners saved by grace. A lot of us are better at hiding our sin. We've gotten really good at hiding our sin. <laughs> and so that person that isn't as good at hiding their sin as you messes up. We know we're quick to point the finger, but we're no different. We've just gotten really good at hiding it. And God's like, that's no good. It's no good. So being broken over our sin, not sugarcoating it, not justifying it or anything like that, but it's being broken over our sin. It's looking at your sin and hating it. It's looking at our sin and just hating it and repenting of it. Second thing is this. Break me of my pride. Break me of my pride. This is super, super important. Why? Because God hates pride. 
Say that with me. God. I mean, this is so important that we understand this because pride is one of them American uh, emotions that we, that we have been conditioned to believe is good because in America, pride is looked at as a good thing. Like, like a good, strong, arrogant, prideful leader is rewarded in America. Is like, that guy's confident. He knows what he's doing. I'm going to follow that guy. You know, in anything, in the military, in politics, or whatever. And so, and also, it's like, it's not wrong to have pride in what you do. Like, if you want to clean your car and you just take pride in that you are a good car washer, hey, that's awesome. But being prideful is thinking that you got life all figured out, you could handle it, and when we are prideful, we are really replacing God in our lives with ourselves. We're saying, I got this. And you know who struggles with pride the most is rich folks. And, and part of the reason people, not just rich folks, but people who have money or people who are doing well, like they, you know, they have the answers for all their problems and their money. And they put in their pride in their money, right? Like if I'm sick, I could pay for a good doctor or pay for the best medicine. If my car breaks down, hey, no biggie, I'll pay for it. Uh, anything, like my money can answer all my problems so they can get prideful. And even people that are broke can still be prideful as well. But the one thing we need to realize is any form of like self-sufficiency or pride, disgust God. Disgust God. Super disgusting to God. And this is why in ministry, like in church world, man, if a pastor becomes prideful about what he's doing, that man's not, or a woman is not going to last long in ministry. If they become prideful, like, hey, this is mine. Like, look what I have built. Look what I have done. Look at my size. Look at this. It's like God does not, God hates that, especially when it comes in the church. It's disgusting. But all of us, like, if we feel like we have this self-sufficiency, God does not like it. Um, somebody I know recently um, was in the hospital. A, a close uh, friend of mine was in the hospital for a number of days recently. And I was talking to them. And this person was in the hospital really sick for a number of days. And they didn't tell anybody they were in the hospital. Do you guys know somebody like this? It wasn't because they didn't want anybody to know their business. They didn't tell their siblings. They didn't tell their, their best friends. And I'm like, does this person know? No, I didn't tell them. Does this, no, you didn't tell anybody? Why, why didn't they want to tell somebody? What I believe. And I talked to them about this. It's partly because they're embarrassed that they got sick. Why did I get sick? You know, like, like, it's like, what do you think we are? Like, God's the only one here that doesn't get sick. <laughs> like, what do we have to get embarrassed about? You're not Superman. And they're afraid if somebody knows that they got sick, that they will lose this persona of a super healthy human being. <laughs> and it humbles them, right? So they keep it to themselves. They get out of the hospital, just tell their friends they were up north hunting for a few weeks. <laughs> like, I'm good. I'm great. I'm fine. It's like they don't want anybody to know because it'll shave off their pride. And they want to maintain that pride, right? Instead of just humbly saying what's going on. After reading this story of this woman, do you think this woman had an ounce of pride? I mean, she went to a Pharisee's house. So this pro known prostitute in the village, who is a known prostitute, went to a Pharisee's house 
who was like a religious leader, like a pastor, like a, like a religious leader, she went to his house among all of the Pharisees and Jesus as she is and not caring what anybody says. Crying at the feet of Jesus with her tears and, and with her hair and, and just being broken before him. Being out of place, she didn't care. And she had a, a posture of brokenness. And I really believe as Christians, that's what we should have, is a posture of brokenness. Not saying that we can't just be confident of who we are in the Lord, but it's any time we feel like pride is coming in and like, hey, I got this, or I'm where I'm at in life because of me, or everything I have is because of me. It's like, no, everything you have is because of the Lord. All the breath you have in your lungs because of the Lord. All your health you have is because of God. And he's done that for you. He's built you up. So the only thing you can return back to him is thanksgiving. And just being like, thank you, God. But it's having this posture of brokenness. I don't care what people think of me. I don't have to be better than anybody else. And I don't have to appear like I have it all together. And this is where, like the story about my friend who's in the hospital and didn't want anybody to know, is like we try to build up for ourselves a persona that we have it all together, right? I'm never sick. I'm never sinning. I'm never sad. I'm never depressed. I'm never anxious. I'm awesome, right? And isn't like the church like the best place for that? It's like, oh, I got it all together. I'm not broken. I didn't cry this morning. I'm not like depressed. I'm not sad. I got it all together. And we put on this show in front of everybody else, and so it's contagious to everybody else, and they got to feel like they have it all together, and they have to feel like they have it all together. And that's why one of the core values that Jay wrote is transparency. It's like, we got to be transparent with each other. If you're hurting, tell somebody you're hurting. If you're broken over something going on in your life, just tell somebody. But they might think I'm weak. So it doesn't matter. You are weak. I'm weak. I'm human. I'm sad. I'm broken. I'm bankrupt. And I don't care who knows. And you know what people in the church are going to say? Me too. I cried last night too. Because I'm so sad and broken. I want to tell you that. And like we could tell each other this and it's okay. We can tell each other when we're happy and, and like things are going good. But this, like... Let's not be a church that has to pretend to have it all together. Amen? Let's not be a church that has to put on a mask for other people because all that mask does, it not only hurts you, but it hurts everybody around you because they got to feel like they got to put their mask on too when they come to church. Right? That's, why, that's the heart behind our core value of transparency. It's because I'm just going to be transparent with you, and I want you to be transparent with me, and I want you to be transparent with each other, right? Like no secrets. And it's okay. Man, there's nobody here that is a superhuman. There's no super moms here. There's no super dads here. We all got flaws. My dad made a lot of mistakes to me as a parent. I made a lot of mistakes to my kids. I'm not perfect. I'm not the best husband all the time. And I can admit that. Like, it's just, it's just stop. Let's stop trying to be that to everybody. We all got hurts. We all have struggles. And we got to break ourselves of our pride. And that's part of the praying, like, Lord, break me. I just feel like I'm too prideful. Like, I just can't be myself. Like, just pray, Lord, break me. Break me of that. 
And the other thing is break me is just holding nothing back, or I hold nothing back or holding nothing back. This woman gave all she had, her tears, her kisses. She was kissing on his feet, her hair, her perfume, and she just laid everything she had before Jesus. Everything she had, her, like, that perfume was her livelihood, poured it out on his feet, it's gone. And how many times we come to Jesus, like, uh, usually when we get saved, we come to Jesus, most of us are holding something back. Maybe just out of ignorance, uh, we hold something back. All of us hold something back. And then, at some point in our journey of discipleship or walking with Jesus, God reveals to us what he wants us to give up. So at some point, maybe in your lives, God is going to, or he already has, revealed to you something that he wants you to give up. Whatever that is. Maybe not an action, maybe it's an emotion, or just something to give up. And that's where people become broken before the Lord. In that time where we reach a crossroads where God's like, hey, I want you to give this to me. And many times we talk about this illusion that our life is like a mansion, that we give God access to every room of the mansion, except for like a couple rooms we try to keep God out of. We try to do our Sunday morning thing and then allow Jesus into those spaces. But in those dark rooms, maybe the basement, maybe the side room, we lock God out. And God is like, man, I want every access to every area of your life. And don't hold anything back from me. I already know what you're holding back. And you guys know what you're holding back from God. And we need to hand that over to God today. He knows what it is, and he doesn't want us to keep him out any longer. So what are you holding back from God this morning? What is that one thing you're holding back? Because I'm telling you right now, God wants it all. He wants it all. He wants you. He wants your, he wants your Monday through Sunday. He wants every part of your life. It's like following Jesus is not compartmentalized. It's not a weekend hobby. It's every part of your life. Total surrender to him. You might be thinking, Jim, this sounds pretty extreme. My last church didn't say I had to give up everything. You know, they just wanted me to serve an hour on Sundays. <laughs> and, like, and they just, they were glad I was here and, you know, that was it. And you're saying God wants everything? Like, what is it? And like, I'll just share you this verse. It's a little later in Luke, Luke 14, 26. Jesus says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person can't be my disciple. And Jesus said this for a purpose, like, and if you read it in its original language, he's not saying, like, you need to hate your mom and dad, like, hate them, disrespect them. That's not what it's saying. In the original language, it's saying, I need to be first above everything else. Even your husband, even your wife, even your kids, even your own life. And if you love your own life more than God, you can't be his disciple. It's like, wow, that's really inclusive, right? It's really like all inclusive. Like he wants everything. And he said it for a purpose because he didn't want Christians to be this weekend warrior. Like, I'm going to go hard on Sunday and live like hell the rest of the week. (laughs) I'm going to do all I want during the week and I'm going to just get all my sins washed away on Sunday. He's like, no, he wants all of you. He wants all of you. And that's the type of God we serve. I surrender all. I surrender all. This means Jesus wants to be first in our life above everything. 
And so here's the rest of the story. I'll share the rest of the story. It says this in Luke uh, 7:44. It says, then he turned towards the woman. So this woman was just crying at his feet with her tears and wiping him with her hair and pouring perfume and kissing his feet. He turned to the woman and he said, um, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. And this is the Pharisee he's talking to who spoke up. He said, I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them off with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, which oil's like less than this expensive perfume. You didn't even put oil on my head, and she poured out this expensive perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus could use brokenness. Jesus can use brokenness. If you want to be used by God, and you want to be somebody who God uses in your daily life, you got to find a way to become broken. Some of you have been broken. Some of you have went through seasons of brokenness. You've been through that. Some of you haven't yet. God can't use pride. God can't use arrogance. He can't use those things, but he can use brokenness. And so when you pray the prayer, Lord, break me, you are saying, God, have your way in me. You're saying, I want to obey you. And when do we pray, break me? I mean, there's many occasions, like, like we just want to be close to God. We want to we have, have a more closer, more intimate walk with God. You pray, Lord, break me. And, and through that brokenness, God starts to mold you like a lump of clay into who he wants you to be. He starts to tear off the impurities and the bad things. He starts to do a work in your life so you can have a deeper walk with him. You know, Maybe there's a sin in your life that you just can't overcome. Maybe there's an addiction in your life that you just can't overcome. Um, maybe you just want to be used by God on a higher level. Pray this prayer, this audacious prayer. Lord, break me. Break me. I can't overcome this sin. I need you to break me. And when you do that, you're putting your full trust in God, that he'll do what's best for you, right? He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He's not going to harm his kids. He loves you. And he'll do what's best for you. And sometimes there's going to be seasons in your life where you're going to be broken and you didn't ask for it. You're, like, you're just going to go through a season of brokenness. And it's not fun. I'll tell you right now, it's not exciting. <laughs> and it's not cool. And some of you might be in a season of brokenness this morning. And it's like when you try to pray, nothing but tears come out. And you're just like, God, help me. I'm broken. My encouragement to you is stay, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to him. Because when people enter a season of brokenness that they didn't even ask for, they either run away from God or they run to God and they come out of the other side with so many blessings. Because God's greatest blessings comes after a season of brokenness. Amen? And any person that's strong in the Lord, that maybe you look around at J-Road and they're like, man, they're strong in the Lord. I want to be like them. That person, I promise you, has been broken in their past. They've went through that fire of brokenness. 
And it's not like a one-time thing. You might go through many seasons of brokenness. I can't say that, that it's just me once. But, um, you know, the greatest blessings come after a season of brokenness. Breaking moments are molding moments. They mold you. Um, And so, like, the, the first significant breaking moment that I can remember in my life is I was pretty young. Um, I was 15 years old, 15 or 16, and I wasn't even a Christian yet. Um, if, if I didn't told you my testimony, like, my parents never went to church. So I never went to church. Like, I never went to church growing up. And as a teenager, I didn't go to church until I got saved when I was 15 or 16. And so my, I just didn't come from that household. Um, so I didn't know anything about the gospel. Never picked up a, we didn't have a Bible in our house. Um, but when I was 15, my parents divorced after being married for like 18 years. Like my whole childhood, my parents were married until I was like 15, and they got a divorce. And we had this like all-American family, right? Like the perfect family. And it was great. Like we had a, I had a great childhood. My parents hardly ever fought. A great childhood. And then one day, they divorce. And it's like my whole world came crumbling down. It's like you talk about divorce. Divorce is hard. I remember what I was wearing. My sister and I, like it's just me and my sister, we remember what we were wearing, where we were sitting when they told us. Like I just remember my mom left a message on the answering machine saying, hey, after school, don't go over to your friend's house. Like stay home. We want Me and dad want to talk to you guys. And it's just like this brokenness. And I remember like that was right before summer and I was just destitute. Like I, I didn't know what's going to happen in my life. Me and my dad moved out. Like, my sister stayed with my mom. Me and my dad moved out into a new house. It was just a whole ordeal, and I was broken. And I remember right after that, like a month later, a friend of mine asked me to go to a Christian summer camp. And so, like, God reached out to me in my brokenness. When I was the most broken I've ever been, and and a friend asked me to go to summer camp, and I said yes. I got away. And at the summer camp, I gave my life to Christ. And I just said, you know, like, I, I, I don't have anything else. I don't have anything else. I don't have a family anymore. I need you, God, because I don't want my life to be a mess like my parents. And I just wanted God. And, and, and I asked him to forgive me of my sin, and I understood the gospel, and I got saved. And so the greatest blessings come out of that brokenness. I don't know if I would have accepted Christ if that didn't happen. Maybe I would have. I don't know. And my life was changed. Like, I started going to church after that by myself and the friends I went to that Christian camp with. And, um, you know, it, it broke me, but it also was the biggest blessing. So when you're in a season of brokenness, you can either keep running away from God, or you can run to God. Um, God never r- wastes a hurt in your life. If you're hurting right now, I know it's a cliche saying, God is not wasting that. It may not make sense at the time when you're broken or hurting, but God is using it to mold you and make you into the woman or the man that he wants you to be. He's shaping you. And life's greatest hurts shape you to the man or woman you are today. And it gives you perseverance, as the Bible says. It builds up your character, as the Bible says. It makes you who you are. God is always teaching you something. He's always teaching you something, making you into something new. Your brokenness leads to your beauty before the Lord if you welcome his presence in that brokenness. So if you are in brokenness, invite his presence in and just cling to him. Make sure you're spending that time with him in prayer and just running to him and being with him. And if 
you need to invite God to break you, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And it's, it's realizing that you have pride, you have something in you, that, and you just want to be closer to God. When you experience a season of life that is so hard that all you can do is cling to Jesus, let him do his work in you. Let him do his work. And don't be afraid to pray, break me, O Lord. Because when you do that, you are inviting God in to do a work in your life. Let's pray. God, we love you. Um, God, we thank you for this prayer series that you've led us to. God, first of all, I pray that none of us, I pray that nobody here ever feels like they got to pretend to have it all together, that they are Superman or that they're Superwoman and they just got to be awesome all the time. Um, Just help us be real and disciple one another and love one another. God, I want to pray for those folks here that are in a season of just brokenness. And it feels like they're going to be here forever. It feels like maybe they're in a pit. God, I pray that your presence is so real to them right now. That they feel like, just like Daniel in the fiery furnace and his friends, that you are right there with them in the pit or in the fire. And even though life seems to be crumbling around, they sense your presence and your strength in them more than ever. And I pray that they cling to you and cry out to you, Lord, during this time. And I pray that if there's people here, God, that life is going good. I I just thank you for that blessing. Maybe their money's good. Maybe their job is good. Maybe their marriage is good. Maybe their parenting's good. Whatever it is. God, I thank you for that. But I pray that those people just have that self-awareness to see if they're beginning to think that this is all because of them and not because of you. And God, I pray that if we have any pride in our lives, that we pray, break me. And trust that you'll do a good work in our lives. God, I pray for the folks that just want to be closer to you. They just want to be closer to you. And they pray, break me, God, of anything that's offensive to you. And trust that we'll come out of the other side closer and better for it. So God, we love you. God, we worship you. We thank you for this day. I pray that we all go into our weeks, Lord, with a stronger, close walk with you, praying throughout the day, getting in our word, Lord, and just staying close to you. We just thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen, guys.